Welcome, uh, welcome again to Christ City Church. Uh, my name is Matthew. I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, and whether you're joining us here in person or if you're on YouTube, welcome everyone to Christ City. We're really thrilled um, that you're here with us. Today's scripture is going to come from the Old Testament book of Genesis and the New Testament book of Revelation. So I want to ask um, as you're able to stand to reverence the reading of God's word. Genesis 1:27. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, we come to you this morning and ask that you would speak to us through these passages and through Pastor Justin as he comes to walk us through the passages and what it means for us as a church living in 21st century Washington, D.C. Lord, pray that you would give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see your faces. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. Um, And today, I'm just going to jump right in. Today we begin a six-week series on race, faith, and the kingdom of God. Race, faith, and the kingdom of God. We just spent three weeks uh, looking at our vision and our mission as a church, which is to see the flourishing of God's kingdom on display in every life and every sphere of life, in D.C. and beyond, and to get there by loving God, loving others, and making disciples. One very tangible way to do those things is by integrating race and faith in our individual lives and in our communal congregational life. And I feel both the privilege and the weight of kicking off this series of of leading our community as we walk through this together. Uh, A friend once said to me that as pastors, we're always pastoring a caravan, meaning that there are always folks way out front who are straining for the next thing and impatient for the change. And then there are always folks out back who are wondering why we need a change in the first place. And then there's folks all the way in between as well. And that's especially true with evocative moments or important issues where everyone is bringing their own expectations, their own baggage, their own opinions, their own scars. And so I want to name that. I I will not say everything that you may want me to say. I will not say everything that you think I need to say. Uh, But I hope and I believe that God still has something for you. I believe that God has something for us this morning. And I hope that uh, over the course of these coming weeks, uh, because this is a six-week series, Uh, you'll hear and see and experience something of the vision of God for our church and beyond to our city and to our world as well. Let me also say this is just a talk, right? This is just a talk. What we say is important, but what we do is just as important, if not more so. And that applies to me as a pastor, that applies to us as a church, that applies to you when you have conversations with others these coming weeks and as you discern what is yours to do. Conversation among caravan goers is good, but we still got to put one foot in front of the other. And a a final 
introductory reminder, we are on a journey. We are in process. We are, as we noted in a series a month ago, in the meantime. We will not see the fullness of God's kingdom on earth this side of Christ's return. We will not see the fullness of God's kingdom reflected in our church community this side of Christ's return. But just because I will never be a perfect husband, father, pastor, or follower of Jesus, that should not dissuade me from doing what is mine to do. Right? Just because we may not always get it right, that should not dissuade us from doing what is ours to do. And so, church, let us keep striving to see the reality of God in our midst. Let us keep pressing toward the promise God has for us and let us find our sustenance in God so that we can persevere and persist. And that last reminder is especially for my fellow people of color here. Let us find our sustenance in God so that we can persevere and persist, even as we all join with the psalmist in singing how much longer till we sing a new song. Today's message is entitled, Race Matters. Race Matters. Philosopher and activist Cornel West used that as the name of his 1993 book, making that play on words. We're talking about race, race matters, and race is important, race matters. And if you've been part of Christ City for any length of time, you know that. We talk about it often. But the first time I knew that race mattered was when I arrived in the United States in 2006, at the age of 23. See, I was born and I grew up in Hong Kong, where the population is over 90% Han Chinese. I went to English-speaking schools with locals and expats from all over the world. My best friends in school were Chinese, Dutch, Japanese, and Eurasian. I went to an English-speaking church with Chinese Hong Kongers, Filipinos and Filipinas, East Asians and South Asians, Americans, Brits, Canadians and Aussies. And then I lived in and around London for eight years. And my friends there were BBCs, British-born Chinese, fellow students from around Asia, Brunei, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, as well as Indian and Pakistani and Iranian Brits, Nigerian Brits and Anglo-Brits. Being what's called a third culture kid, there have been very few places where I don't feel a little bit at home, but there have been no places where I have felt completely at home. When I arrived in the U.S. to attend seminary in Southern California, I discovered a new group of people, a new classification of people, a closer designation of my identity than I had ever experienced before, Asian American. Asian American. Now, I have always been Asian, I'm ethnically Chinese. I was born in Hong Kong. I hold a, a permanent Hong Kong ID card that lets me skip airport lines and immigration in Hong Kong. And I've always been American. I was born an American citizen to naturalized parents, a holder of a blue passport that lets me skip some other lines at some other airports. But as I settled into life here in the U.S., as I made more friends, I discovered a particular kind of kinship with the Asian Americans I got to know, a shared experience, both as it related to our parents and various aspects of our upbringing, shoes off in the house, a food-centered fellowship, an expansive network of aunties and uncles, whether blood relatives or not, speaking one language in the home and another outside the home, and also as it related to this country we called home, a struggle to fit in, 
struggle to be seen as American and not perpetually other or foreign. A wrestling with what it meant to be fully ourselves, a how to integrate all of the disparate parts. For 15 years now, then, I have been learning and unpacking. I've been listening and wrestling, rejoicing and lamenting the realities of race in the United States, its history and its present and its opportunities. And my own place in the mix is, as one who does not easily fit into a conversation that is often just framed in the binary of black and white. For 12 years, that work has been in the context of this city, what used to be known as Chocolate City. For 11 years, it has been as a pastor of a multi-ethnic and multi-racial, but still not multicultural church. For nine years, it has been as one half of an interracial couple. For almost three years, it has been a parent to biracial children. I share all of this because everyone has a perspective, right? everyone has a journey, and that's where I'm coming from. I don't have all the answers, I don't have all the expertise, I haven't spent my whole life, as many of you have, in this racialized society. But for as long as I have been in it, I have been in it. As a pastoral team and as a staff, it is our hope and our prayer that in these coming weeks, we, Christ City, will experience a deep conviction about and calling to racial equity and justice because of our love for Jesus, because of our discipleship to Jesus because we are students of the way of Jesus. It's our hope and prayer that we would experience healing from the ways that the scriptures have been misused to justify slavery and other evils, from the ways that the church has been complicit in racial injustice, and from whatever oppression we have internalized, whether we identify as white or as people of color, and that we would see and know that the response is not to throw out the scriptures, or to leave the church, or to despair in ourselves, as understandable as those responses might be. But a better response is to do the scriptures better, and to be church better, to live out a better church, to keep growing and to keep going. It is our hope and prayer that, that we would not only know things, because we, we, we have some heady folks here, we would not only know things, we would not only just feel things, but that we would do things. And whatever it is God calls us to, both as a community together and as individual followers of Christ, there is work for all of us. And some of that may be revealed to you today. Some of it may take a week or three. But whatever the work is that the Lord reveals to you in these coming weeks, it will be good and it will be right and it will be hard. But I promise you, in and through the Spirit of God, it will lead to life for you and for others. But most of all, our hope and our prayer is that we would take steps towards Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the sustainer, and the lover of our whole selves and of our reconciliation, both with God and with one another. That is, that as the local body of Christ, we would grow in our likeness of Jesus. So I want to start this six-week journey with a reminder of the beginning and of the end. We heard these passages read earlier. From Genesis 1, the creation narrative, God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. Every single human being is made in the image of God. I think we all agree with that here. We all take that as a given, that every person bears a divine imprint, and thus every person has 
dignity and is worthy of respect. No ifs, ands, or buts, no qualifications or caveats, no hierarchy, no first among equals, none more equal than others. But it's important to name that that truth has not always been a given. And that racism, at least here in the U.S., is very much a repudiation of that truth. I want to clarify a couple things here so at the very least you know what I'm talking about when, when I use certain terms. Some of this will be familiar to some of you, and, but I hope, since this is the first message of the series, I hope you'll offer me and others some grace here. So ethnicity is the cultural identity of a group from a nation state. Okay? My, I am ethnically Chinese. My wife Carolyn is ethnically mostly a mix of French, German, and British. In the words of author Lisa Sharon Harper, ethnicity is biblical. In Hebrew, it's goy or am. In Greek, it's, it's ethnos. Ethnicity is created by God as people groups move together through space and time. Ethnicity is dynamic and developed over long periods of time. It is not about power. Ethnicity is God's very good intention for humanity. Race, on the other hand, is largely about how you're perceived by others, how you're treated because of how you look or your name or your accent. Race flattens the richness of ethnic identity into one color signifier. But there's more. Race, at least as we understand it here in the U.S., was a social identity constructed in the 17th and 18th centuries and then imposed to designate who had worth and who had power. So-called white people, those who looked like European colonists. And conversely, to designate who did not have worth or power, who could be used, who could be exploited, who could be destroyed, including Africans who were described in those times as subhuman, and as it even says in our nation's Declaration of Independence, merciless Indian savages. Talk about our founding documents. So when I talk about race in the United States, I'm talking about a system built on whiteness. And when I talk about whiteness, I'm not talking about white people per se. I'm talking about a system that values and legitimizes and considers as normative white people, culture, and ways of doing things over against others. Okay? You don't have to be white to participate in whiteness. And anyone can be rewarded for participating in whiteness. It's that reinforcing of a system, of a hierarchy, and unlike some other places in the world, there has never been a time in U.S. American history when this racial hierarchy, this preference for whiteness, has not existed. See, to paraphrase sociologist Dr. Christina Cleveland, all of us can hold stereotypes. Stereotypes are beliefs that associate a certain group of people with certain traits, and that can be positive traits or negative traits. All of us can have prejudice, which is negative feelings toward persons based on their membership in certain groups. All of us can practice or experience discrimination, which is behavior directed against persons because of their membership in a certain group. But at least according to sociological definitions, racism is when people in power, including cultural power, are prejudiced or discriminate based on race or ethnicity. This is not just about prejudiced meanness. Okay? And over the centuries, that twisting and denial of the truth that every single human being is made in God's image and the deformed and demonic application of power to impose that, that resulted, they have borne rotten fruit. They have borne rotten fruit in such abundance. 
from genocide and boarding schools to chattel slavery, black codes, Jim Crow, lynchings, and Supreme Court Chief Justice Roger Taney making this statement in the infamous Dred Scott case in 1857 that blacks had no rights that white man had to respect. Supreme Court Chief Justice. To anti-immigration laws and Japanese-American incarceration during the Second World War to redlining, segregation, the war on drugs, mass incarceration, and I could go on because there are so many tragic and awful examples in American history of how race has been weaponized to dismiss, denigrate, demonize, and destroy the image of God and human beings. And that's not even to touch the present. Now all of that is to use our relig religious vocabulary Sin. Sin. In the words of South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu, one of the most blasphemous consequences of injustice, especially racist injustice, is that it can make a child of God doubt that he or she is a child of God. Racism is sin at an individual level, at an interpersonal level, and at an institutional and a systemic level as Pastor Rich Belotus would remind us. And so let me place here the first on-ramp to action. Then we'll have a few of them. But an opportunity to respond. The first on-ramp is to learn and unlearn. To learn and unlearn. Be curious. Be open. Take, a, take an implicit bias. How many folks here have taken an implicit bias test? Good, a good few. Yeah. Audit the authors you're reading. Think about the perspectives that have formed you. Talk to someone who seems to be ahead of you on the journey of racial awareness. Look up psychologist Beverly Daniel Tatum's Stages of Racial Identity Development. She has a model for white folks, she has a model for people of color, and figure out how to grow from one stage to the next. Something that is offered every fall and every spring by our friends at Little Lights is a Race Literacy 101 class. Many Christ City members have participated over the years, and, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't seriously engaged in a time of learning about race, to take it. Don't just think about it, to take it. And that applies whether you are white or a person of color, because all of us who live in the U.S. live in this racialized society. All of us have things to learn and unlearn. And so that's the first action on-ramp. And we'll put links to all of these, some of these, in the, in the podcast notes and the small group guide, so you can follow up on them later. Let's return to the scriptures. The first passage we looked at was from the beginning of the Bible, and the other comes from the end. From the vision of the Apostle John in Revelation 7, he said, After this I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes, and they held palm branches in their, in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John sees this picture of heaven on earth. John sees this God's kingdom on earth, the vision of things to come. This is where we are headed, friends. And what does John see in this vision? He sees ethnic and cultural diversity. He sees every nation, tribe, people, and language. The people are distinct and they are distinguishable from one another by their nationality, by their heritage, by their culture, by their dialects, and we're reminded that there is beauty in our diversity. 
that to be so-called colorblind is not divine because God made us all beautiful. Every shade and every skin tone, every ethnicity and culture carries something beautiful within it. And we get to see God in and through each other. The way we're made matters to God. So much so that it goes with us into eternity. There is a beauty in our diversity if we allow it to come out. If we allow it to be more than just superficial. Just over a year ago in our continuing efforts to better reflect the kingdom of God as a church, we commissioned the Love and Unity Project headed up by Onia Okwobi to evaluate us. Give us a congregational health check. Not just on matters of race, but regarding inclusion and equity on all levels. And there was much to celebrate. Of those who responded, which was a good representation of our church, about 60% white, almost 20% Asian American, almost 15% black, and almost 10% Hispanic or Latinx. Four out of five said that racial injustice is one of the most pressing issues in society currently. Three quarters said they were personally motivated to address it. And four out of five demonstrated more than just a superficial understanding of systemic racism. Almost everyone, 90%, agreed that all people are made to feel welcomed and valued in our church community here at Christ City. That was really encouraging. But as with any health check, there were also things that were harder to hear. There were things that we needed to work on. Black and Asian respondents were most likely to disagree that all people are made to feel welcome and valued in our church community. People of color were the most likely to find it difficult to build relationships here. Were the most likely to feel pressure to give up a part of their racial or ethnic identity here. And were the most likely to have experienced some racial prejudice here at our church. And at the same time, people of color carry a disproportionate burden within our church community. One respondent said this, The thing that is very clear to me is the black people and the people of color give more to the body than they get. People of color are all serving sometimes to the point of exhaustion, sometimes to the point of needing to just put it all down and step away because we didn't care for them properly. And so instead of helping with the load, the load just becomes unbearable. We have to put the whole thing down. And that sentiment is actually backed up by our internal census. We take a census of our church every couple of years, and last summer, just before the Love and Unity Project began its work, we found that despite making up less than half of the church, people of color led by our black congregants were most likely to have been involved in a small group, to be regular givers, to volunteer at a service or outreach event, and to attend a prayer event. And so here is action on ramp number two, and this one is particularly for my white brothers and sisters. Serve and show up. Serve and show up. Volunteer for a ministry team, and not just what you might want to do, but, but where the need is. And I'll tell you right now, we need more hands on stage crew and we need more consistent volunteers for kids in Teen City. Help out at our minor outreach events. I know many of you already serve, and, and I, I'm so grateful for that. But for those who have been standing on the sidelines for whatever reason, let me invite you to go ChristCityDC.org slash connect and sign up. Step up. And if you have been blessed with financial privilege, give to the work we're doing. Support the work we're doing. Listen, I know hearing disillusionment and disappointment from members of our own community can be hard, but we will not heal from what we do not name. 
We will not heal from what we do not name. And we name things in order that we might heal. So let this diagnosis be an encouragement to heal, not an invitation to despair. All right? Dr. Corey Edwards, in her book, The Elusive Dream, she writes, interracial churches must be places that all racial groups can call their own, where all racial groups have the power to influence the minor and major decisions of the church, where the culture and experiences of all racial groups are not just tolerated, but appreciated. That's my longing for us, Christ City. Because what the Apostle John sees in his revelation is also unity. Not uniformity, but unity. And unity because of Christ. What drew this multinational, multi-tribal, multilingual mass together was a celebration of, in worship of the wondrous work of Jesus. Right? They were drawn to worship, which is to say they were drawn to live together in Christ. John sees their diversity and he sees their unity. And if that is where we are going, then in the meantime, we have a calling to be a signpost to the world of what that, what God's kingdom looks like right now. And the work, unfortunately, the work is not just going forward. The work is also looking back. It's, it's making amends for and it's healing from what happened before. The ways in which the church of Jesus especially white Christians here in the U.S., not only stayed silent in situations of racial injustice and oppression, but was often tragically and blasphemously complicit. That is why we are always reforming. We are always seeking to let God's Spirit change us for the sake of the gospel. The Love and Unity Project closed out their evaluation at the beginning of this year uh, with several recommendations for us, which we shared in the spring. And, and again, we'll include that link to the, 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 the report in the, the podcast notes in case you haven't read it or in case you'd like to see it again. Recommendations included hiring a worship leader to help curate Sunday experiences that better reflect the scope of the community. Uh, I don't know how many of you know this, but in, in addition to kind of being the pastoral lead for our community, I'm also the manager for the worship team, and it's a lot, y'all. And it's been time for a while. And we thank God that, that the opportunity has opened up. It's a position for which we have been interviewing for these last few weeks, and, and I hope to have exciting news in the next few weeks. Another recommendation was to establish systems and a culture of welcome that involves the full congregation and not just the hospitality team. That's work for every single one of us. Because I know we like to come here and greet the folks that we haven't seen, the folks that we love and that we, we, we want to catch up with. A working group has just started meeting with Onia to, to pinpoint some specific policies and actions and changes, and their work will be for the next three months, and so you can be praying for them. But here's action on ramp number three. Find your people. Find your people. And I'm going to explain this because I know it could be taken a, a few different ways. But find your people. People who will help you navigate this journey. Who will get you through where you need to go. One of the structures we are working to set up is race-based affinity groups. As Matthew said earlier, the Asian American and Pacific Islander group is meeting for uh, a lunch social this afternoon. Uh, Pastor Matthew and, and Kate Denson are heading up a starter white growth group. And we want to make these gatherings available for, for any member of Christ City, all members. Now, because on the surface this can look like resegregation, let me explain 
the purpose of these spaces. In order for us to be truly multicultural and intercultural, in order for us to genuinely come together and be together, each of us and all of us need to know who we are. We need to know what we're bringing. To adapt the words of Eric Law, who was a Hong Kong-born Episcopal priest who immigrated to the United States as a teenager, he says, for people of color, these spaces are a time to be in community to gain self-esteem in the context of the collective, to, to gain strength before moving into a world that does not value who you are. It's a time to learn that you are blessed, that in your endurance you are resurrected into a new life of empowerment. It's a time to heal. It's a time to gather and build strength, a time to embrace, and a time to speak. He goes on, for whites, this kind of gathering is a time to clarify and understand what it means to be whites in this society, this American racialized society. It serves as a time for reflection on how you may have taken your power and privilege for granted. It's a time for repentance, a time to accept the burden of the cross, a time to break down denials, and a time to cast away stones that built and supported the foundations of a racist system. He says only after all of us have done our homework can we come together in a true encounter. Find your people. And that holds both for places of separation and for places of integration and reconciliation. Let's do the work. Let's do the work with others so that we together can rep better represent the beauty of the diversity and unity of the kingdom of God. Now, if you're interested in learning more about an affinity group or the growth group, you can visit the website that's... I don't remember if I put a slide. It's there. Great. I'm more organized than I thought. And let me also say, as it relates to this, don't, don't just think about whether you need it. Think about the person who is a step or two behind you, to whom you might be a blessing and a guide. You may have noticed that there wasn't as much biblical exposition or exegesis in today's message that a lot of it was very practical. That was very intentional. See, it's one thing for us to say or know that everyone is made in the image of God and that God's kingdom is wonderfully and beautifully diverse and inclusive. It's a whole other thing to know what to do to live into those truths in a community of real people in the here and now. You may also have noticed that I've used, that I quoted a lot of people this morning. That was also very intentional. I wanted to show that, that I'm still on a journey. That there are so many I have learned from, so many I am indebted to. It's okay to not be an expert on things. But never stop learning. I want to close this morning with two more people. First, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles, which was the great divide for the Jewish people in those days, he made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person. Some translations say one new humanity out of the two groups, making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. When he came... 
He announced the good news of peace to you who are far away from God and to those who are near. We both, we all, have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. Always, church, always we come back to Jesus. Because Jesus, as the one who is God, shows us what God is like. And the one, as the one who was human, shows us what we are to be like. The great reconciler invites us to be his ambassadors of reconciliation. And reflecting on this truth, professor and preacher Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes offered this meditation which voices so well exactly why I am in this. She writes, for me and many others, the only thing, only one thing keeps us on a journey in which we are destined to encounter people who devalue our personhood. Captivity. That is, we are held captive by the understanding that reconciliation is core to the gospel. That it reflects God's intention for humanity and that it is central to our identity as Christians. We become, like Paul, prisoners of Christ Jesus and of the gospel who are compelled to enter into the breaches, the lives, relationships, institutions, and systems that are ruptured by racial oppression, sexual gender injustice, classism, and ableism, and to live there in solidarity with others as we together proclaim God's word of liberation, justice, reconciliation. We are captive in the sense that we could not do otherwise. We could not even will to do otherwise. I am beholden to the great reconciler. I am no longer my own. I am his disciple. He is my exemplar. He is my king. And I am a citizen of his kingdom, of love and justice and inclusion, of the image of godness in every person, of the worth savingness of every person. That church is why I'm in this. And I hope you'll be in this with me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you meet each and every one of us where we are with whatever we need whether it is comfort or challenge whether it is reassurance or a sharp kick up the backside God you know the journeys that each of us have been on And we know that you go with us, even now. And so, Lord, as individuals and as a community, we commit ourselves to you. Because you are trustworthy, and because you are the only one capable of bringing this to pass. O oh God, of what seems impossible, would your kingdom come on earth, in D.C., in our midst.
as it is in heaven. Amen.